coronavirus, so uh, looking at some positive things that may be coming uh, in the strange times that we live. Uh, another article called Youth Ministry Needs Less Fun and More Joy. Uh, so fun versus joy from uh, actually uh, written by a professor at Southern Seminary. Yeah. I had, and I, you did not, is that right? I had him for like, I think he taught like one like lecture that I had for, with Dr. Stinson. Um, but I did read a book that he wrote. Yeah. He wrote a book about um, spirituality through Star Wars. Oh, okay, sure. I forget the name oh, of the book. Star Wars. Yeah, so. For a class called Christian Development. Okay. Yeah. And um, so always was at Starbucks working. Yes. I always see them at Starbucks on Frankfurt. Right. Right near the University of Seminary, like on his iPad, yeah, that doing him, his deal. Uh, doing that typing thing where he actually types on the screen, you know? Oh, like yeah. I never imagined doing. Like, I'm going to, I expect to live with a tactile keyboard for the rest of my life. I can't. You want to hear something crazy? I wrote my entire dissertation, which was like 240 pages long, on an iPad with a keyboard. Sitting with, in a wait, coffee wait, shop. With a keyboard. Not as big as yours. Yeah, yeah, but it was like one of those like smaller ones. Yeah. yeah. You and wrote that. I wrote, yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, I had, I had like, <laughs> I had T-Rex arms. I'm imagining you. Yeah. So then we get out a regular laptop and it felt like a massive well, thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, anyway, Timothy Paul Jones, uh, I call him T-Paul in my Whoa. mind, which I think is a good way to shorten down. Did you call him that? I didn't call him. Oh, that. I didn't know if he gave the permission. So maybe this will be the start of it catching on. I'll use it. T-Paul. Okay. T-Paul. It's good. <laughs> um, and then uh, we want to start, and, and I have a question for you, which is, uh, what, what have you been doing in your, in these weeks? Like, th last week, I guess, was the first full week of, hey, don't expect to do anything that you normally do, really. Right. Um, so what... What are the new things in your life coming out of uh, this strange period where you are isolating? Yeah, so I've spent a lot more time with my family, yes. with my wife and kids, which is, you know, it's, what's been great about it and is that we just had a newborn son on February the 15th. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my wife's not complaining. I'm at home more, right. um, you know, and uh, so that's been good. Um, which, you know, I probably would have stayed home more often than usual during this time, but probably not as much as I'm doing currently. Right. Um, but it's been weird. I've done a lot more Zoom videos than I've probably ever done in my life, which Zoom video is like a Zoom meeting online that you can, you can do. And uh, that's interesting to be a part of because a lot of people who've never done them before, like say everyone under the age of 25, they don't do them well. Like they don't know, they don't want to actually use the video. They just want to do the audio. Huh. They don't want people to see their faces. Um, and it's like, and so I did a Bible study, like a college Bible study on this, like Tuesday night. And I was the only one with a video sharing and I was the only one talking. Like they just right. did not do well with it. I would ask questions and it was like crickets. Right. Nothing. So it's like, I don't, I think, and I even had one student, I think, who typed in the chat, like, I don't really like this very much. <laughs> and, and then I was like, okay, this isn't going well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, I may have to do something different. Like maybe just, because maybe I'll just shoot a video and send it to him because it's basically what we were doing is yeah. me just kind of talking. You know, this is, um, uh, one more reason I'm thankful for songs. Here's a line out of an old Cademan's Call song uh, written by Derek Webb. I love anonymity and I love being noticed just the same as anybody else. And man, does sometimes our life shine by how much we love the anonymity and how much sometimes 
we love being noticed. But I will say, yeah. I have noticed that we want to be noticed when we've had time to prepare and had a little bit of a sure. forethought. Yeah. Um, and these times where it's like, but I'm usually accustomed in this situation, like nobody being able to look at me and see yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Man, you can really tell that that, uh, that bothers uh, people. So I had to do my doctorate uh, or dissertation defense on Zoom on yeah. Thursday. And my plan, which is, you know, I won't give too many details because I know more than I should, but I was planning to go to Louisville on Thursday. I wake up Thursday, I'm supposed to wear like um, business attire, but like, so I had to wear a tie and a sports jacket. So yeah. I, yeah, I got up that morning, I took a shower, put on my tie and sports, and my, I actually wore a suit and was about to leave to go to Louisville. And of course, you know, since we're central time, I had to leave like three hours early. And I was like, I should probably email them to make sure, like, are we still gonna do this? So I'm about to email, then I get a phone call from 502, which is Louisville. Right. Uh, and I, I assumed it was probably from Southern. And it was Dr. Booker and he was saying, hey Matt, it's off, you're gonna have to do it on Zoom. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, there was a, a student, there was a, a kind of a positive uh, case of coronavirus. That and I ended up finding through the grapevine, because if you go to Southern and your wife goes to the SWI classes, you know like your wives are really close to the professor's wives. Right. And so they, as women, they're still friends, right? Yeah, so yeah. my wife, Lisa, sends a text to one of the administrators, one of the higher ups, and she sent back all the information of who, the, not who the student was, but basically more information right. that everyone, anyone knew publicly. Right. And so I was like, Anyway, so it ended up getting canceled. I did the whole thing on Zoom. It's like a two-hour, pretty intense m yeah. meeting yeah. or whatever you want to call it, um, right there on Zoom. Right, actually, right over here, this computer over here. So. And how did it go? It went well. I passed it. Excellent. So they said I'm a doctor. Were. Yeah, uh, but I haven't. I still have to officially have to kind of clean up the dissertation a little bit. But based off these two men. They called me a doctor. Well, all right. So there you go. Congratulations, I appreciate it. Thank you. This is like a whole new podcast now. Yeah, yeah. How people... Probably viewership will increase tenfold. Oh, yes. Oh, there's a doctor on this podcast? <laughs> oh, oh. I wonder if he can look at my scar. <laughs> and you Not that kind doctor. of doctor. For clarification, you are a doctor of what now? Missiology. Yes, missiology, which, which to the common man means what? Is the study of missions. There you go. Which Great. is study of anything that the church does to proclaim the gospel, to um, um, proclaim anything about the Christian faith to the public or anyone either in this country or outside this country in any different means or platforms is basically missiology. Yeah. So international missions, any of that type of stuff is kind of in our church planning, it's kind of in our wheelhouse. Yeah, so, so the title or the focus of your... So the t Yeah, the focus was uh, collegiate church planning. Great. So kind of what we've done here at Redeemer Fellowship Church and more of a, a broader like case or strategy or argument for church plants for on college campuses or for college All students. Right. So there you go. So it was, I mean, no one will read it. It's like 230 pages of history and strategy and all the different things. So well, great. there you go. Yeah. And this is what, two years of your life now? Wow. Well, I wish, yeah, it was four years of four my years. life. Four years wow. of my life. Yeah. I remember when you started this, it doesn't seem like it was four years ago. Yeah. So I started actually the summer of 2016 Okay. and uh, we had had our son Lincoln. So 
right before we started. And we had moved to the west side of Evansville. And we were planning the church, Redeemer Fellowship. And we actually launched the church in September. And I started the program in July. Wow. Which is probably not wise. <laughs> but I did it anyways. Yeah. As I think if you're going to do a doctoral type degree, because in our, with our ages, we have, I mean, you have two young kids. I have three young kids. We have, we have ministry jobs. You almost just have to jump in it head first. And basically, if you get all bloodied up, at the end of it, you have a doctorate degree, yep. you know, and so it's not for the faint at heart, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and being the one of the two of us that after finishing uh, my MDiv took some time off, I'm telling you, you, taking time off does not encourage you to jump no. back into it. No, um, no. It is not that way at all. The longer yeah. I go, the more I go, yeah, I don't, it seems the likelihood is less and less every year that yeah. I'll go back. It seems like maybe when you're like having a midlife crisis and you're like, wow, I'm not a doctor and all my peers are doctors. Oh, maybe I'll be a doctor. Yeah. It just seems like there's different phases of your life that you're willing to jump into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You had a, had a boy right there uh, when you started, and you're having the boy. You had a boy just right at here the at end the end. Of it, yeah. Something else. Mr. Teddy did not get a mention in a dissertation. Oh, man. He's going to hold that against me when he gets older. Okay. But we'll deal with that when we get to that point. Yeah, right? You know. <laughs> it was toward the end. Yeah, it's like, dude, you were like, you were not even, you were alive for like a week. Right. So it's, you know, that's how it works. I was in the touching up stage. Yeah. The time that's right. <laughs> You'll get more of me when I'm like retired or not as much doing this stuff. So it, it works out well. Yeah. Tell him his reward is that he's raised better. Than that's him. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'll sure tell him that sure. often and see if that matters. <laughs> um, so have you been doing anything else besides finishing uh, your dissertation? That was last Thursday, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I would be honest. I'm not watching a lot of television. Yeah. Um, I have yet to watch a Netflix show since this has started. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, we have Disney Plus. The kids have been watching Frozen 2 like it's their job. Mm. Um, and we're still good parents, but you can only raise them. It only can keep them occupied for so long. Frozen, Frozen helps, you know. Yes. Elsa and Anna become good, good babysitters. Yes. Um, but uh, watching a lot of YouTube videos, just because you're like... So we'll get into this more, but I'm a big sports fan, love ESPN, watch ESPN uh, religiously. And with nothing really on as kind of like background noise when you're cooking or cleaning or just kind of messing around, you're just kind of forced to find something else. And so that's been like YouTube videos. One of the things that I, YouTube videos that I enjoy watching are SNL skits, but I also like Conan O'Brien a lot. Okay. And he has this clueless gamers. Have you ever watched this before? It feels like me playing video games. But so he, Conan has this segment he does once in a while where he will showcase a new game that's coming out and he will play it with like an expert. Uh -huh. And he sometimes will have celebrities and they'll basically like, in a sense, joke about it, make fun of it a little bit, uh, kind of as clueless gamers, and he will give up a review at the end of the, of the yeah. little segment and stuff. So that's kind of enjoyable, a little humor yeah. to kind of take up the time. So what have you been up to? Uh, I've certainly uh, been on some YouTube rabbit holes. Uh, StarCraft is my favorite. Okay. Uh, current, not even a current, it's a 10-year-old game, but it's current to me. So you can watch, there's hundreds of games, thousands, uh, millions of games yeah. online, practically. And uh, so you can watch a lot of those. There are people who keep making content for that. So uh, that's something. Uh, my older son is very into uh, video games. So we've been playing uh, a game 
came out in the early 90s called The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Wonderful. Uh, so it's great. And, and he's learning the ropes on that. Uh, we've been playing Minecraft some as well. Okay. And he's into that. Um, What's so, early 90s? What, what year are we talking here? So Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past probably came out in 91. We're talking Super, right, Nintendo? So Super, Super Nintendo? Okay, mm-hmm. Super Nintendo. Yeah, it's also on the Switch if you have a Nintendo online service, but we oh, play yeah. it on the original hardware because, you know, that's how we roll. Yeah, I try your own. house. Yeah. yeah, old school. We have like a it. lot of original hardware, so we got to get some use out of it. Nice. Um, and then uh, reading video game reviews on uh, videogamecritic.com. If anybody's a retro gamer, this guy writes really good reviews. They're short. He does some entertaining ways, and so uh, there's there's all kinds of ways to just kind of spend your leisure time yes. right now. And, uh, I know we were talking about it earlier. Some people are catching up on old shows. It yes. seems to be uh, the way to go right now. But I'm like you. I haven't haven't really um, had much of a desire to get into any old shows. My wife and I are watching The Mentalist through. Okay. We've never seen. We've seen some of them. Nice CBS um, sitcom, right? It's not a sitcom. Okay. I, I would never know the definition. It's, it's a drama. Okay. It's a drama. Uh, yeah. His wife and daughter are killed before kind of the series starts, and he's on a kind of a trying to find their killer. Nice. Um, and, and in the meantime, he works for the California Bureau of Investigation. Okay. Uh, so every episode is usually, uh, there's one or two episodes per season that are kind of about the big story, but most episodes are just kind of a, there's been a murder, there's been some kind of crime, and then he's really good at his job. He's like a Sherlock Holmes type character. I'm all about and, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. So it's hard uh, to not uh, like the show, and it's a uh, Prime Video gives us a way to just start it at the beginning, and we're in season three right now. There you go. Yep. Sounds good. Well, uh, we're going to start today talking uh, about some of the positives of this coronavirus situation. We are, most of us, uh, down to essential activities. We don't go to many places. Uh, we get the bare essentials, and then we go back home. Um, and so there was an article that you sent me called, Mommy, I Like the Coronavirus. That's right. Uh, it's in the Wall Street Journal on this weekend. Yeah. And so what are your main takeaways from this article? Yeah, so you always, like, when you read the Wall Street Journal, especially when you read the weekend, like, so the Wall Street Journal is a Saturday-Sunday paper, it's a weekend paper, and they have a lot of different articles in there. And so in the opinion, which is like, kind of like the editorials, uh, they'll always have a small little article kind of stuck to the bottom. And it's usually not political per se. It's usually something more general. And so sometimes if you're just kind of browsing, you'll never catch it. But if you're really reading the paper, you'll catch these kind of kind of hidden gems. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those like hidden gems like articles. And uh, Mommy, I Like the Coronavirus, which basically is this woman who's named Erica Komazar. Com- 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 um, she is a, uh, she lives in New York and basically her daughter is b- kind of says, mommy, I like the coronavirus because I get to spend time with you, yeah. which is, you know, you wonder that's probably uh, uh, an opinion or a statement that a lot of kids have made the last right. week or so. Right. Um, um, my kids have gotten to probably see me more during the day than typical, especially in the morning. Usually you're probably similar. You kind of, you get up, you take your shower, you make your coffee, you're out the door, maybe by 8, 8.30 at the, at the latest. Um, and now, I, well, you may be more going to the office at 8.30, but now I kind of linger more at home where I'll make breakfast for the kids. We've made a lot of pancakes the last several days. And I'll sit around and kind of, be with the kids, we'll do activities. Um, we'll, we've made a habit 
actually this morning we did, we just take the kids on a long walk and come back home. Um, and so that's stuff we would never have done because number one, our daughter would have been at school. Our son probably would go to daycare. And so we're just not in those, having these times in the morning to be together. And a lot of people have been forced to speak spend this quality time or right. quantities of time but also quality times with their with their kids with their family right. that they never would have taken because at, and the article kind of hints at this and if you don't know this most americans do not take their full vacation it's kind of a running joke around the world we were in colorado several years ago on the way up uh, a gondola which is like a, a, a ski lift which is enclosed right going up the mountain and there a lot of times when you're out in Colorado you get a lot of Europeans that are in they go to skiing in Colorado with as well and we're in the, we're in this gondola with a German he's a young German man probably in his mid-20s and he he basically is going to spent like two weeks in the United States on vacation mm -hmm. and he joked that Americans never take vacations in Germany they get six weeks mm. and he's not like he's like as has high seniority at like a great at a big company or something like that where you had to work your way up to having all this time off he was just in his mid-20s and he gets six weeks off for vacation and it's a, I mean, most Americans don't get a lot of vacation, and even if they get it, they don't even take it. I think 50% of Americans don't even take their full vacation time. Um, and typically, there's different reasons why. Some fear that their boss will look down upon them if they take their vacation. They'll like miss out on a promotion that they may would receive if they actually sacrificed right. and and didn't have, take vacation time and, and and actually chose work over rest mm -hmm. they'll get some promotion or get some positive consequences if they don't take vacation which your family suffers right. a lot of your kids suffer they never see you they get used to a, a kind of a culture or lifestyle where their parents are always working and they're kind of always in school or always at daycare or always with a babysitter and never actually with mom and dad and so it's interesting that this virus, which is it's a horrible thing. I mean, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. A lot of people are going to lose money. Some people are losing their life through this. But there is kind of a positive silver lining here that we're kind of forced to spend time with the people we love yeah. and make up for some like lost time, maybe. It occurred to me the other day that um, thinking about teenagers that uh, for Southern uh, different young people that I know, because so for us, we have, uh, our boys are four and two, their life has changed very little. Um, my wife stays at home with them most days. Mostly, uh, yeah. And uh, I'm at home with them one day a week while she's at her job. And so our life routine is the same. Uh, they pretty much have no idea anything different is going on in the world. Um, but I've thought a lot about how I wish that, um, I, I often will ask people like, to keep a journal mm, yeah. when they do certain things in their life. I am, uh, I have naturally, I remember I was 14 when uh, I started journaling and it's been a thing for me uh, pretty much my whole life. Wow. I'm just uh, like I, um, I, 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 certain things seem to fall into this uh, kind of uh, cross of, I really want to get them out, but they're not organized enough to where I feel comfortable just saying the saying it all to someone. So I've just written it down, and so I have. I used to do it on uh, all kinds of spiral notebooks, yeah. uh, and uh, I often will type them uh, now. So I wish I would love if people were writing about experiences with, say, I know that it, this has been particularly hard on, say, a senior in high school who all of a sudden. Hey, 
you know, sorry, this last year of your high school is pretty much done. Yeah. You, you got half the year. You didn't know this was coming, and it's pretty much it is. It's pretty much over. Right. And um, everybody's kind of trying to scramble to figure out what that will look like. And um, at different ages, it just makes it really different. But like you said, no matter what, people are getting time at home. Yeah. And I hope and pray they are making the most of yeah. it because yeah. uh, we do uh, seem to need to be forced mm -hmm. to take this time and uh, it is a strange little silver lining that we are being forced out of nowhere. I'm, right. I, I, I wonder if there was any time to prepare, if we might have made a way around this. Or uh, so I think, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. We do have to do this. To yeah. have people just have to spend time with family. Now, I do know some families that, well, who, you know, you've got a 16-year-old son who's just going, look, I'm going to play Fortnite. 20 hours a day yeah uh, and that's certainly going on I imagine myself at you know 16 or whatever that probably uh, whatever I was playing at that time I probably would have just gone well let's double it let you know I yeah. used to do this from four o'clock when I got home uh, till 10 or midnight but now let's just spend the whole day doing it and so it's uh, I, I hope that there are positive family outcomes uh, yeah. from this and it is uh, a prayer that however quickly we kind of come out of this, that we would retain some, um, some of the virtues of family time, that relationships that are kind of mended or grown, strengthened, would stay strong, we would have that time, because it is a peculiarity that I think a lot of, uh, a lot of us have become accustomed to, to just work. Yeah unbelievable hours yeah it kind of um i mean as as somebody who grew up my my dad pretty much worked say 60 to 70 hours a week just, mm -hmm. just in general that mm -hmm. was the thing that he did um my wife's dad is the same way uh the, there's a certain kind of man here in the midwest that would go i work that's yeah, what i do that's what i do yeah that is that's that my, my role that's right. my substance of right. what i'm supposed yeah, to be sure, doing and sure. And then sometimes I get to not be at work. Right. Uh, and, and it does not surprise me at all to hear you say that, that most people don't use all their vacations. Because what I've talked to so many people that go, well, when would I take it? It's so hard. So right. much depends on me. Right? right. You structure your life to where right. I just have to be here. Right, right. I have to be here every day. Right. Um, so like you don't know what to do with yourself mm -hmm. if you weren't at work. Yep. Um, and it's so if you go to if you spend a lot of time around Europeans and stuff, it's just like a total foreign concept to them, right? I mean, number one, even going even past vacation, like most American companies do not give out like a lot of maternity leave for mm -hmm. for, for moms who have their babies, right? They they are able to maybe take maybe six weeks, right? Um, which I think is common in Europe. It's like far more than that, right? They they may get off half the year, um, if not the full year. And uh, we're just, the way that we are, I guess there's, always, there's some, some books written about this, that we, we, we come from kind of this Protestant European background where it was like, we're just kind of like workers by nature. It's yeah. kind of like, a, kind of built in our, into our culture. And um, we struggled to, to put work aside. Right to then spend time with family or spend time away to reflect on the work we've done in, in leisure and to rest to be more productive. I think we, we struggle to understand logically that 
putting work aside for a time actually makes us better at the work. But I think we're just not, is that builds into us as children, because we haven't seen this or we're not taught this, that it's better for you, it's better for your mind, it's better for your body, if you spend time resting mm-hmm. and then going back to work and having that balance, because God gives you the balance in Genesis 1 and 2, right? He creates the world in six days. He rests on the seventh. He then tells Israel, the nation, to kind of take the same pattern to work six days, rest on the seventh. Even after six years, you had the year of Jubilee, right? The seven years. So God like installs in Israel this pattern of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And then we, even as Christians, we struggle to disciple and, and teach our church people to to almost learn from the pattern of the Bible and say, well, that was Israel. They had a Sabbath. We don't have to take a Sabbath. It's purely like, it's purely up to you if you want to rest or not rest. It's like, it's just, it's, it's really bad biblical teaching, isn't it? And we just have struggled. I even, some of our people that we look up to and even the ministry world, I don't think they're, they're teaching, hey, right. make sure you spend some time with rest and time of, I mean, Dr. Moeller, who's someone we look up to, I don't think he ever rests. It seems like, and so I think it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing for us in our thirties to kind of learn like, how do we balance this leisure time with family, quality time, rest, Sabbath, right. time in the Word, time of healing, time of 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 finding perspective, um, having some time to think and reflect. We just do not prioritize at all, and we just kind of say, well. If I have the time, if, I, if I'm given the time, then maybe I'll take it. But yeah, so do I, do, what about, Dr. Does that, so Dr., uh, I mean, Pastor Dave has to take a sabbatical every year? No, uh, so we got, he had a sabbatical after 10 years. After t- 10 yeah, years, isn't that crazy? And, yeah. That was uh, a full month okay. office of what that was. And um, incidentally, uh, my church by our standards is, uh, fairly generous. Uh, I just, uh, I'm in my sixth year. Uh, actually, I'm in my seventh year. I completed my sixth year. Uh, at First Southern, you get two weeks to start with vacation and then a third week after you've been there five years. And uh, I think it's fourth week if you've been there 10. Wow. Um, but by American standards, that is fairly generous. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think two weeks is probably just kind of like the standard for a job that is uh, kind of like a profession. Um, and so I've appreciated that. I try to take them all. The strange thing about this issue, so you, you mentioned Dr. Moeller, and I appreciate one thing that uh, he said. I listened often to the briefing, his daily podcast, and he said often on there, labor produces leisure. It's kind of a mm. summary of how to think about life, how to understand kind of a, um, a rhythm that we can get into sure. in life that uh, people say this work hard, play hard, yeah, which sure. I, I think is a good uh, way of thinking about it. Um, and so finding a rhythm in your life to where you do work, you work hard to produce, but then you let a period come where you rest and you relax yeah. and do something that you enjoy. Because here's what I've seen. Um, the workaholism of, say, the past generation and, and the previous generations before that, excuse me, it seems like that children of those generations either have a choice to raise the bar or to live in that world or I I would say you have seen as I have some 
young people who have thought, look, that's not a life for me. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm not going to live this life of sacrificing everything for a company who, by the way, ever since uh, 2008 and the financial crisis, a lot of companies cut older workers. And I have known plenty of men, especially, who were never picked back up at any sort of pay grade like they had been paid before that financial crisis. And Mm -hmm. to to see these people left out in the cold by companies when they're uh, in their 50s, maybe around 60s, so they're at a very high pay scale, and these companies are going, you know, look, we can hire a couple of young guys, pay them each uh, less than half of what we're paying you, Mm -hmm. and why would we not do that? Right. To see... uh, to see older workers betrayed by companies, I think, is factored in to a generation of young people who, in a large part, have gone, you know what? I'm going to do the bare minimum at my job, and I'm going to live as much of a life of leisure as I can. And I don't think that's the answer either. But right. I think you can see the reaction against this life of <laughs> only labor that can be, that can have an opposite uh, problem of being a life that is that is all about leisure and just basically looking at your whole work uh, situation and going, I will put all my work on as many people in my workplace as I can. I will do as little as possible. Um, that is not the answer uh, either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a lesson, I think, that we either understand how to be healthy or the systems and the worlds that we live will react strongly against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. And I know that this has created problems in some different relationships of people that I've known between fathers and sons in particular. Uh, I think that uh, young men right now in particular have uh, a lot of temptations to just Mm -hmm. go, you know what? You could sit on this video game. Say as a guy who loves video games, you could sit on this video game and we will supply achievements for you. Every single uh, small little micro level that you get better we will put right on your wall and remind you that you are accomplishing something and um that is a false system right that uh you know look that's a those leisure types of of situations i enjoy you know those times are great but it's kind of like um i am such a typical youth minister i love mountain dew (laughs) and i will often have in the afternoons maybe a little later than we are right now have something like a mountain dew every day but I, I don't look at that as nourishment, you know? Right, I would hope <laughs> not. I would hope not. Go, yeah. This is a little kind of bonus. It's like a little yeah. candy that yeah. I'm drinking every, yeah. Yeah. Uh, every afternoon. A little reward, so. huh? And, and life has candy in it, thankfully. Yes. But yes. candy is not sustenance, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, one of the things, though, you know, while people maybe are, are kind of forced not to go to work, um, the habit will be... Um, with the way that we have technology now, I mean, you, I think this is one of the issues, especially in America, like you can be not working, but still working because your phone is always with you, right? right. Um, I, I, this is kind of funny though. I will do this. I will put my phone in a different room and get on my iPad and you may be like, what's the difference? I feel like on my iPad, it's not like work connected, sure. even though I can probably get text messages and stuff, but I disconnect it from the thing there's the association that it's at my phone. Therefore I can kind of go into my book. I can read a book that I'm reading or I can read a magazine that I'm reading or I can uh, watch a video that I'm reading, watching and I can just, my phone is not near me. So in my mind, I'm not working. Mm-hmm. I'm leisuring. Mm-hmm. All I've done is take one device and replace it with another. Yeah. But I, in my mind, my phone 
is, is, is work. And every time I pick it up, or every time I look at it, I'm waiting for some text message to say, hey, hey Matt, or some yeah. Facebook message, or something that I have to respond to, or, or make a decision on yeah. as, a, as a pastor, or as a minister. So like, you know, I think finding ways as people to recognize where your bad habits are, that your phone may zap you back into work mode, to especially during this time, learning to manage your technology well. Um, we could probably spend a whole week of podcasts on just how to do a better job of, of managing your use of technology and devices and things like that. So that's, you're actually having people time. We're actually looking people in the eye and talking to people and playing games with people um, and watching movies with people. Uh, all those things are important and not simply just be on your phone and think that that is going to supply relationships or that that's going to be a way to, to heal boredom. Mm -hmm. Because in this time, you're going to be bored. And I think, honestly, as Christians, how to, in those time of boredom, like, how do we use that time to God's glory? Because you can't just fill it with more veggie, more YouTube videos. Right. Finding something to do, like, where you're either interacting with another person, either through a phone call or something, or you're reading God's Word, or you're reading a book that you're going through that's going to encourage you, edify you. Finding something to do with those times of boredom, I think it's going to be huge. And I think if people can, can jump that hurdle and find victory there, once this is all over, then they will have like, they've been able to maybe um, heal some bad habits and actually create some good habits that will maybe affect them long-term. Yep. So um, we'll see where we are after all this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good plan. I, I felt the same trying to think through, uh, okay, what is best for me as far as the technology that yeah. I have. Uh, being a PC guy, uh, like all my devices are not linked because, you know. <laughs> so that's just a different thing. I do the same thing. I'll put my phone sometimes just in the other room for who knows how long so that uh, I'm not tempted to just kind of you know, oh, let me look back through. Did I text everybody back? Did I do, you know, uh, your phone can become this thing that just kind of haunts you. Like, hey, when's the last time you checked Twitter? When's yeah. the last time you yeah. looked at this, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's a good thing. And, and we all need uh, to think through. Uh, it's tough. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all for everybody as far as what you ought to be doing. You have to ask for knowledge about yourself and then apply it. Yeah. And try some things. And we certainly have an opportunity now to do that. Uh, now, before we leave uh, coronavirus, there's a, a kind of a sad little article in, uh, I believe, The Atlantic, right? Yeah. Entitled, I Don't Think I'm Going to Learn Much. Yeah. Um, at a press conference, the uh, president was asked a peculiar question. Are you, are you, uh, have you been in contact with any previous presidents, uh, whether of the same party or of the opposite party? Which, to kind of as a, maybe to um, provide a little bit of more uh, context before you add more details, there is a book called The Executive, I think it's called The Executive Club. Uh-huh. And it's a book, and if you get, I mean, again, you have time, right? Um, go to the, well, you can't go to the library. Go somewhere. <laughs> maybe you buy it on Amazon for your Kindle or something. Yeah, you, you have to, like, help yourself here. But if you're interested in, like, history and politics, especially presidential politics mm -hmm. and history, there's a book called The Executive Club, which is a book, and I can't remember the, maybe it's Nancy Pearson. Uh, don't quote me on that. But um, she wrote a book about um, the history of presidents 
and their kind of interactions towards each other. Because, you know, um, and what's an interesting uh, part of this is Nixon. There was not one president that was alive, former president that was alive during the time of Nixon's Watergate. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the story goes, would Nixon have done what he did if there was like, say, Eisenhower was alive? Or Johnson was alive. There were no other living. There was presidents. no other living presidents that during the time when he was eventually like, um, I guess around the 1972 kind of yeah. area. Um, and uh, so that's an interesting, a little bit of tidbit there. But I mean, I but most likely, he's suspicious of everybody. Yeah. I just can't see him calling up. You know. <laughs> so it was uh, it was famous that uh, like President Clinton had a fairly good relationship with Nixon. Like Nixon yeah. was like Nixon was like this political like wonk man. He was right. very he was very knowledgeable, loved foreign policy, right. and was. I don't think Nixon really understood him. Like he wasn't really self-aware. He just kind of inserted himself, yeah. you know. Um, but then also, I think it's been known that J President Carter was a better former president than he was a president, sure, yeah. right? That's kind of the he's a better ex-president than actual president. So right now, I believe, and you quote me, you have uh, well, as of like two years ago, you had more presidents because George w George Bush Senior was alive and mm -hmm. he passed away. But now, right now, he. Uh, former presidents alive today is Jimmy Carter, uh, President Clinton, um, President Bush, mm -hmm. George W., and then President Obama. Mm -hmm. right. So is that four presidents that are alive today that Trump could ask mm -hmm. for advice? So yeah, right. Sorry, and you know the situation we are in is is unprecedented, mm -hmm. uh, especially in modern history. You know, people have talked about 1918, the Spanish flu, but you know that was a little while back. Uh, so we have opportunities uh, to address this, and it's a lot to deal with. Um, and so, when asked this question, uh, have you talked to any other presidents? Have you thought about talking? to any other presidents. What was his response, Matt? Do you want to read the whole answer? Uh, it's a few lines. It's, I mean, it's, sure. it's not long, okay. Um, and supposedly the article says before the, the reporter finished her question, Yes. President Trump was quick to answer her. Uh, he says, look, I have the best people in the world. I think we're doing an extraordinary job. If you look at the H1N1 under Obama, if you look at that whole, that was a disaster. That was a tough period of time for our country. You look at so many other things that weren't handled very well, whether it's Katrina under George W. Bush or something else. Look, I respect everybody, but I feel I have an incredible team and I think we're doing an incredible job. I don't want to disturb them, bother them. I don't think I'm going to learn much, yeah. end quote. Mm -hmm. Now, Clarification one, uh, there's no joy in us to just run down President Trump, um, but this is a, just a foolish response. Yeah. That, is, uh, that is something that I would expect out of you know, a 13-year-old boy that's coming through right. the youth group. There's a certain kind of person who says, no, 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 I don't have to take advice. I don't know. I, right. I don't need advice. Right. Right. People who need advice are people who don't know what to do. Right. Meanwhile, I'm right. a person who knows what to do. It's just... Yeah. This is such low-level nonsense. Right, right. <laughs> and the, the article, and I, I think I had read the article that the, um, the writer mentions uh, two years ago, like 
how the president, how the, the president of the United States is like almost an impossible job. How like it's the qualification, right. not only the qualifications, but just all the job descriptions, like what you have to right. do as president. It keeps growing, 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 growing. And um, there's only so many people that can give you advice. Right. I mean, um, none of us can give the president of the United States advice because we've never been president before. Even your vice president can't really give you an advice because he's never been president before. Right. Um, there's only so many people that can give you advice, and those are former presidents. Mm -hmm. And right now, he's got four men who were presidents during different different times um, who can give him advice. Now, he doesn't. The good thing about advice is right. you don't have to take it. Right. You don't even have to take all of it. You can take parts of it. But <laughs> it's why it's great. called advice. Tell me more about advice. <laughs> because so it's not like a command. It's not a demand. It's not an, ex, an executive uh, order. It's simply advice about your options about your options another thought that maybe you've not thought of or none of your staff have thought of because again they've never been president before yeah. so um and it seems so some of my reading about presidents um that you would like president obama president obama i had a very good relationship with president bush and it would not surprise me if president obama during the times of with ISIS and other issues that he talked to President Bush. Right. But again, got advice. He may not have taken the advice, but he asked a question and said, hey, what do you think we should do? Uh, and a good thing about these presidents is that they were former presidents and they're not paid by you. They're not hired by you. You can't fire them. So they'll tell you what they think and they don't really care if you if you hate them again, or if you don't listen to them and do something else, like these are pretty, these are pretty powerful men, and and they have a pretty powerful position in history, and so they're not gonna, they're not gonna be yes men. They're gonna tell you what they think. Uh, they're not gonna pull any punches. That's what sometimes leaders need to hear in right. times of crisis: is hey, you're not, you're not doing well. You're not doing a good job here. This is what I would do. This is what I would maybe think about doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you again, you can say. Okay, I'll, I'll follow your advice, or no, I'm not going to follow your advice. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I have, I've talked to quite a few um, college students and 20-somethings. Uh, your 20s, it's, it's interesting right now. Uh, your 20s are often spent learning how to gauge advice. Advice right. Advice can be difficult because you're always, anytime you're open to advice, you're going to get advice that will say go this way, and then you're going to sure. say go the opposite. Sure. You immediately go, but why am I getting this different advice? How do I, can I synthesize this advice and, and take wisdom from both of these sides? Uh, sometimes you will just have to disregard yeah. certain. Yeah. And, and so this whole section in praise of advice, you are not a smaller person if you take advice. No, uh, and not your bigger person. It is a sign of wisdom yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to ask for advice, even if, even if, and listen, it is sometimes wise to just go, well, thank you, but I'm, I'm going to disregard that yeah. advice. I'm just not, I, you know, a, uh, we can receive advice and be all the wiser for it. Um, so we should. And, yeah. and this is just one of those situations that um, not good, not a good call to just think that uh, nobody on that list of presidents that you brought up has, has anything helpful to say. Yeah. Yeah. You would think, you know, Jimmy Carter, he was president during the Iran uh, ran hostage situation, was president during the oil embargo, was president during a 
probably a, a troubling time uh, financially for the United States in the 70s, would have something to say uh, about this particular situation. Um, you think of um, you know, President Bush during 9-11. I don't know, like that may have been helpful nuggets. Because I think people have, there's a different situation, yes, but have connected this coronavirus pandemic with 9-11 and that way that it kind of shut down the, the country. Uh, how it affected the, the economy of the country. They're kind of equating, in the article that we're not going to talk about, but I shared with you, it mentioned 9-11, talking about these, how do you gauge when to care about public health, right. but also care also about economic stability. Like, there's a, there's a balance, and it's, right. there's no scientific formula. It's right. very much kind of a, I don't know, like you kind of have to just pick a side where you go with it and see what happens. President Bush, President Bush has been down this, has made some tough decisions in relation to a, a crisis in the United States. It seems like his wisdom or his advice would be helpful in this particular situation. I know as a, as a citizen in this country, if I knew that President Trump was talking to President Bush and asking him questions about how to lead the country during this crisis, that would bring a certain comfort. Right. I don't know if it would bring comfort to you, but I think it brings some comfort to me that President Trump is seeking the advice of people who have something, have some experience. Mm -hmm. But to say, I don't think I'm going to learn much, doesn't really bring a lot of confidence to me yeah. as someone who has a 401k, for someone who, um, you know, is trying to give advice to other people about jobs and public health and stuff. And so it is like, it's a very discouraging comment that may be one of the lowest points of his presidency because I think it and I think maybe because it I, I, we were talking about before we started it wasn't shocking that he said it but it just didn't it doesn't fit it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel comforting and you just you just don't feel secure with the United States leadership in this particular situation yep, yep I so. agree. We're going to move on to our main topic uh, today. This article by uh, Timothy Paul Jones, T. Paul Jones. T. Paul. Uh, Sounds like a pirate name. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Arr, Timothy Paul George. <laughs> Jones. <laughs> George. <laughs> I've never heard the names Timothy Paul as a, you know, as a dual first name or whatever yes. you want to call it. So I don't know. T. Paul just came to my mind as a way to shorten that kind of uh, difficult to shortened name. Um, so he wrote this article called Youth Ministry Needs Less Fun and More Joy. And it's like a book review, right? Yes. What would you call and that? So yeah, it's yeah. a book review about a new book uh, called The End of Youth Ministry. So you never thought, like those book reviews you wrote at Southern Seminary, you could use them sometime. You could have. You could write an article for Christianity Today. No, and I never just thought <laughs> to do that. There's going to have some applications later. You want to talk about something, by the way, in seminary that you're sitting there going like, what do I have to do today? Oh, great. I Dang have to write it. a book review yeah. for this professor who's read hundreds of these book reviews. Right. Take and the best part of all of you yes. who are doing work, and some of you all are doing online education right now, doing work that you're not too excited about doing, I know. Book reviews. <laughs> the best part of a book review is at the end, you were supposed to give some criticism. Yeah. You're like, how do I give criticism to Martin Luther? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, or whomever I, you want to fill I in. A first year seminary. Yeah. Student. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think about some of the, some of the guys in the class who kind of like seem to have it all figured out. And it's like, man, this guy is, is just like, when he gets to this criticism section, he's like, 
been yes. waiting for this my whole life. Yes. I'm going to run this guy down, yes. no matter who it was. Yes. And I and definitely that, that verse in, was it the verse in, is it, I don't know what book is it, is it Numbers or Deuteronomy, where it says that Moses was the humblest man in the world? Yeah. yeah. And you're put in a situation where you're like, I'm going to show this expert in the field <laughs> what I think of them. <laughs> I know. Uh, it was just, that was something that happened to write those book reviews. Um, so this is a book review, and it's about youth ministry in general. And, and the one thing that, uh, for starters, uh, we can agree with is that there have been um, some pretty significant changes in youth ministry from the time that you and I were in it, right. which 20-plus uh, yeah, years, yeah. uh, to current times um, where groups on average are smaller um, in general, uh, where there is more interaction socially with teenagers online, uh, this strange phenomenon of a lot of teenagers not even getting a driver's license. Um, that is which, crazy which to me. Tells yeah. you yeah. we are just in a different We're a different setting. age. Yeah. I mean, in the 90s when I was a teenager, you're going to get that driver's license. Yeah, 16. I got it. I 16. Yes, I got yeah. it. 16 years and zero days old. Yeah. I got that. Yeah. And I was driving around my hometown recklessly, yeah. not paying attention to what I was doing, nearly getting hit on the first day. There wasn't a lot of people, right? I mean, Southern Illinois. I mean, it's a town of 9,000, Matt, you know. Yeah. But don't worry, I managed to pull out in front of a few people on that first day. That's good. And on the following days afterwards, uh, too. So some things have changed, and and his main contention is what? Yeah, so again, you're in, you, I'm in college ministry. There is, there is a, a little difference, but yeah, there's similarities. The biggest issue with youth ministry is the parent element, right? And I don't know what was true with you going to youth group, but my parents went to church. And so what, what happens to someone in their youth, teenage years? Well, you go to the Sunday school class on Sunday and you go to the Wednesday night mm -hmm. youth night, right? That's kind of where you... Most, if not all, of my social friends came from church, right? Um, I had some friends from cross country and stuff, but they, a lot of my friends in cross country didn't go to church. Right. And so I wasn't as close to them, even though I may have spent more time with them, than I was with my friends from youth group. I mean, that's, I think, and I think he gets into this a little bit, is that families really parents utilized youth groups as kind of the social network for the kids because it was a safe place, right. right? It's either, oh, if they don't, if they're in youth group, they're going on the streets in some gang, gang banging or something like, as if that was, that's the only two options right. is youth group or gang banging. It's like, uh, so, but now, and I never really thought about this until reading this article with the change of parent styles of kind of the helicopter parents, that there's not an, in their sense, a need for youth group to be the social fun environment that's safe that they know will be encour encouraging and edifying and they'll, they'll it'll make them good people mm -hmm. um but no longer needing the youth group to be kind of the fun space for social networking that can be done online or can be on the kind of under the under the the the, the guidance and oversight of parents there's not as much of a need for youth groups, right? So I, I for, agree for with Christians or for kids with that so. first contention that he says that basically uh, a lot of parents now kind of seem to view themselves as um, as kind of assistance to their children in developing skills. Sure. So that parents are so excited if their kid gets on like a swim team mm -hmm. or a speech team, and uh, and and here's the strange thing. I mean, 
uh, I was actually, we were in similar sports, you and I. So uh, in high school, I was a cross country uh, and track, mm-hmm. uh, which we both Me too. were, but then I was yep. wrestling. Okay, and I didn't do that. So my parents went along, watched, and were supportive, and I very much appreciated that. Um, as these kinds of activities have grown, and seem to require more investment and a singular investment. Like if you are in band, for instance, mm-hmm. now, even as a 15 year old, I have watched uh, as, as band directors tell parents and teenagers, you know, look, you're going to be here six or eight hours all summer mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of maybe a couple of weeks. And then when the season comes, you're going to, basically spend every waking hour outside of school time at band practice so that we can go to band competitions. Band is just one example of how so many extracurricular activities have just come to consume life. And and I do see a lot of uh, the first contention in this article, which is parents have taken to putting their kids in that uh, type of atmosphere and then assisting them uh, and making sure that they are in that rather than church, yeah. as was the case. You know, my my most, yeah. uh, situation was a little different than yours, not having grown up in the church, right. starting at 16. So I was driving, right. and then was one of those kids who drove myself to yeah. youth group and those kinds of things when the time right. came along for me. So that was different uh, right. for me. But Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, he says here, Talk about times of change, peer groups that provide safe risk are not what parents value most. Among youth, the quest for recognition through social media has eclipsed the peer group experimentation that characterized earlier generations. Um, And so, yeah, with more time spent on social media, but you you mentioned a good point there. And I've read this through when I've read through some generation studies, is that students... And I think this is pressed upon them by their parents. And I think they may have developed this pretty early on of the need of career or resume building um, activities. You think of like band, music. It uh, looks very good on a college resume or a college transcript. Church doesn't. I mean, what value does church or youth group attendance or involvement do when it comes to a college application. Yep. It doesn't do much of anything, right? Uh, what is dance or playing a sport or work or having work experience? Mm-hmm. Those all look better on a on a on an application to any university than youth group mm-hmm. uh, attendance. And so and parents are all about that. They want scholarship money. They don't want to have to pay the huge tuition cost of college. And so they just don't see the value of putting their kids in a safe social uh, group of people that will, in their mind, give them kind of good behavioral uh, values, good social habits, um, interacting with people that may be edifying or encouraging to them. They're not going to do drugs and these type of, you know, they're not going to go to jail by getting involved in a youth group. But parents just don't see the risk there because a lot of times they can kind of close that in and prevent their kids from going out because, again, a lot of them aren't even having driver's license, so there's no fear that they're going to go anywhere, that they're not going to prove of um, a lot of them their parents are going to every activity that they go to and so again there's not any fear that they're going to fall into the wrong crowd Um, there's just it it seems like we've and i never thought about this until i've read this article that and i think he mentions it in the beginning that during the 90s 
parent or people were more concerned with youth groups just being a place where fun happens. Mm -hmm. Kids can just have yeah. fun. Yeah. Bible teaching was low priority on the on the but you get guys like us, like even our college ministry, I spend more of my time preparing Bible studies and, and doing discipleship with, with men than I do of like developing events or fun activities. Because number one, I didn't go to seminary and didn't learn how to, I, I didn't learn how to organize fun activities. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, and so um, I would have probably been a horrible youth group leader in the 90s because again, I would have wanted Bible, 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 and very little activities, and I probably would have gotten fired by most churches. Most parents would probably complain about me because, you know, I just am not giving enough fun. Sure. And as strange as kind of our interview process is a side note, uh, typically the way you are hired in a standard Baptist church is there's a lot of resumes that go out. They uh, like the look of your resume. You will get... Uh, a type of in-person interview with that search committee and then uh, you have what it, they call Wonder Weekend mm. where you'll be brought in for a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday where you will meet whether in large groups or small groups I've the majority of the church. Been and to one of these, done yeah. a few times, holy moly, it is overwhelming, especially if you are uh, introverted in any way like you and I both yes. are. It is so taxing. Yeah. Uh, and you... I've got to tell a story after you're Amazingly, done. Amazingly, yeah. by the end of these weekends, you're on staff at this church, and you kind of go, well, now I get to have the marathon of kind of just serving together and getting to know all these people. Um, but that's what it starts as. But I will say this. In this process, if this church is looking for a different kind of minister than what you are, usually it does show itself. Because right. anytime... Um, I've been asked, you know, what are, what are the things that I really emphasize? Uh, I would say things like discipleship. I, I am here because I want these kids to follow Christ, not right. because I in, intend to be entertainer-in-chief. Yeah, sure. And, and there, there certainly are churches and, and churches that I have been around that that would not have been the answer they were looking for. And in that situation, you can amicably split. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and I have had yeah. interviews in yeah. various uh, situations that did not go forward, and that's fine. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, it usually does come up because there are expectations. And uh, that was never the situation I wanted to be in. And in fact, the churches that I have served in, I was upfront about kind of what my emphases are uh, that just similar to what you're talking about. Look, we will do fun things. Yeah, yeah, sure. I will not uh, make my <laughs> main goal right. to entertain your kids yeah. and make sure that I'm the most fun guy they've ever met in right. their life. Uh, yeah. That's out there. That is out there. Yeah, when I, when I first started at Southern, it was like uh, fall of 09. And I was not married yet. I was, me and Lisa were getting married that, that winter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, gonna look for a ministry job. I'm like, all right, you go to seminary, get a ministry job, right? Now how it works. And I had an interview with a church in Mount Washington, which is, uh, I think, like more south uh, of Louisville. And uh, it was t me and another seminary student who, like, basically got to the last of these two interviews. And we went to the house where the parents came over of the kids. Uh -huh. um, so you were talking about something a bit different, but it's a part of the talking with the parents of the yeah. youth. Right? So we, uh, we had two different times, right? Where me and the other guy would go over and, and ask, answer questions by these parents. 
And so I, I don't know, I don't remember what I answered, but I talked a lot about discipleship because I was a Campus Crusade, former Campus Crusade staffer, so I talked a lot about discipleship and blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember if I talked much about activities or events or fun. Well, both of us, I ended up getting a phone call and they didn't hire any of us. Mm -hmm. They decided we don't want to hire either of y'all too. And it just kind of goes that maybe both of us just didn't, didn't really say some things that they were hoping to hear. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to like, say that this church was looking for an entertainment, entertainer in chief, but some of the things about discipleship just really wasn't something that they were getting excited about. And so, um, and so it kind of just proves the point that, you know, um, uh, I, I probably would have been a horrible 90s youth pastor. And, you know, uh, Denton Ice, who's a pastor here at Redeemer, who was a part of First Southern, he talks about his internship up in Virginia. And we were talking a lot about that recently because he went and did Disciple Now a few, oh, last weekend or two weekends ago up there. And um, the former youth pastor, it was a lot of activities and events and things like that. Their, their current youth pastor is different. Like he... Uh, prioritizes Bible teaching and not like the other guy was like not a Bible teacher, but just kind of a different priority and their numbers have been down. Yeah. And Denton was saying that some of the parents or some of the, some of the older people in the church, you know, who remember the good old days when there were all these youth coming in the nineties when the church was maybe a bit bigger have just kind of had these uh, observations. Yeah, there's just not as many kids as we used to as kind of a negative on the current youth pastor. And, it's because they don't, things have changed. Um, and they're not prioritizing events, but also even if they did prioritize events, it's maybe what this article is saying, it wouldn't matter, would it? Um, well, the students just aren't there. And this is a tension that uh, has defined in a lot of ways, uh, kind of my ministry, I'm in the 20th year of youth ministry, it started out with youth in college and uh, and have those same responsibilities now. Um, but in youth ministry in particular, um, one of the tensions that you live with is this. If you do a big event this year, you better do a huge event next year. And all of these trajectories that you are setting make it impossible to follow. And at a certain point, uh, Either you will end up spending so much money to do things that are just not fruitful for the gospel, or you will go, well, you'll go, this is where I am. Mm. The kids know how to have fun. Sure. If they can't have fun doing a simple game, <laughs> I'm just not going to right. spend all kinds of time, all kinds of money right. to come up with a big, complicated game. Because if you have <laughs> worked with teenagers, you know that... Kids are unpredictable. They can have so much fun with a simple little game. Sure. Kids can have a, a whole lot of fun playing marbles or tiddlywinks. Sure. And then kids can totally tell you, sorry, this extreme Fortnite party you put together is just boring. Wow. And, and, I, and, you, and you will, if you spend enough time around young people, you will go, okay, look, it's unpredictable. If they want to have fun, the main ingredient in having fun in any social situation is the people. Yeah, if absolutely. If people want to enjoy each other's company, they yeah. will have fun doing it. Yeah, I think that's and definitely true. if they true. just want to look at each other and go entertain me, uh, that's yeah, just a recipe for failure. Yeah. And so uh, that I have come to accept that. Yeah. And, and in that regard, I really look at this article and I go, okay, well, good riddance to any of this thought of, hey, we ought to have been entertaining these kids all along. Like, look, they live in a world that is bent on entertaining them to death. Oh, yeah. And goodness sure. gracious, there is more entertainment today uh, than 
in the, in the, and it's micro-entertainment. It's, it's just like this, yeah. whatever your little thing yeah. is, you can watch. I mean, The thought that person, people would be entertained by watching other people play video games on Twitch just go, blows my mind. My mind blows. I'm just like, how is that entertaining? And, and, and given that, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I could have a PhD in fun, you know, just because I know <laughs> what that's supposed to look like. Sure. But it's, it is what it is. It is the candy of life, and let it be that. But we don't deal in candy in the church, no right. matter what role we right. have. Right. Um, I, I do think that when we do a, a game, I mean, I, I'm a part of a church that has a program that is 10 years plus running called Friday Night Dodgeball. Wow. We've been running uh, through the school year. We first Friday of every month have been running dodgeball uh, two and a half hours every Friday for 10 plus years. And hey, it's a good time. Yeah. If it's a vehicle for the gospel, great. It's fun. I like dodgeball. I've been enjoying dodgeball since I remember, you know, in elementary school, right. learning it, and right. I, I have enjoyed it. But that is not the mission of the church right. to help people play dodgeball. Right. So, just in a similar way as Jesus would turn five loaves of bread and two fish into a whole bunch of loaves and bread and feed five thousand men, not to mention women and children, we can gather crowds and we can speak to them. But the purpose is not to just gather the crowd and right. have their bellies full. The right. purpose is greater. The purpose is yeah. life, real life. Yeah. And so to use a lively activity to get to real life is worthwhile to yeah, me. Sure. But to just entertain people uh, is not yeah. the church's yeah, job. Yeah, it's a so, good use of that passage there. So let me, let me ask you this question. The, 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 the title of the book, The End of Youth Ministry, question mark. That's a pretty like, alarming question for a youth pastor. I mean, end of youth ministry. I, I am a youth minister. Uh, end of me. I mean, that's, that yeah. sounds very, very harsh. Um, how do we do? How do you do? We do youth ministry today. I mean, that was kind of. Yeah, you talk to some of these older pastors, like, oh, youth. All you need is some pizza. No, start coming. It's like, no, that's not really how it goes right. uh, anymore. Um, maybe that was true in the '90s when you had DC Talk and you just rocked DC Talk and pizza mm -hmm. and you just had a good old time and kids just kept running and you had like 100 kids in your youth group. Mm -hmm. But times have changed, um, and with so many, as you say. Uh, places for entertainment and portals for social networking with discord and twitch and you know snapchat and all TikTok and all these different social yeah. media you can be friends with someone from another part of the world um where does youth ministry fit to me uh i've seen a lot of programs i've seen a lot of events i've done a lot of different things everything to me now i just look at it and I go look if it is a vehicle, if that program, if that event is a vehicle for relationships, then we can do it. If it is just a thing unto itself, let's not. Yeah. Um, and so you connect young people with more mature believers of various kinds. Uh, anything you've ever read about how it is unpredictable that certain uh, young people will connect. I have some volunteers uh, who are phenomenal people uh, who have done the same thing that people have so often done in the church, count themselves out, say that kids don't want to have anything to do with me because I'm, you know, Too old. 60, yeah. I am not fun or this or that. Look, kids are trying to make it. They mm -hmm. are trying to find a way forward in a very complicated world. They feel discouraged. They don't know about all the water that they're swimming in as far as what these devices are doing to them. How are they going to get a job? Yeah. They can't produce any of this either. And so yeah. they're looking for a way forward and they need those relationships. And so any, any means by which you can 
establish relationships. I very much uh, am, I, I cannot help but be in the school of Christianity is more caught than taught. Yes. Being around people who follow Christ with their life will encourage other people to do that. Even when you're not paying attention because kids are watching, yeah. they, they want to know where real life is and how mm. to get to it. Mm. And when they, mm. when they get a hold of it, you know, when they, when they get a sense of where that life is found, they'll pick up on it. They will, they'll observe, they'll ask questions. And so that is the only thing I still mm. know. Yeah. Uh, there's no silver bullet. It's, believe me, if anybody is out there and going, Boy, is there a silver bullet as far as an event or a program? No, there's there not. There is a one. <laughs> you know, we just, all we can any of us do is try things yeah. and let relationships with genuine believers who are following Christ impact others. We should all have those. We need it. Uh, it's important, uh, fundamentally important. And I think it might be the, kind of the end result with all this, you know, one of the and you can correct me since this is more the water you swim, but one of the, the, the statistics that gets thrown out in a lot of things is, is some LifeWay stat that says 70 plus percent of kids that were involved in youth ministries and Southern Baptist churches typically leave the church when yeah. they get to college or post-college. There, there's the there's the results of fun-based youth ministry. Yeah, you had bigger crowds, but a lot of them left the church, you know, when they got to college or post-college. Most likely, as smaller groups of people, better discipleship, that number will go down, right? Yep. Um, so there is kind of a, there is a little bit of a positive and the negative here. Sure, we would like more people in the church, in the ministry, receiving teaching and making friends with other Christians. Sure, that would be a that would be good. But with anything that's a big group of people, it's just difficult to um, to, to disciple all those people well. And it's, and it's difficult if the way that they got there was through fun activities. Mm-hmm. Most likely their hearts were never changed by the gospel right. and they never were interested in the gospel and they never received the gospel. And so left the church when they graduated from high school, never being a follower of Christ and never being regenerated or receiving Christ. And they went into college that way. Yep. But uh, it does bring me hope that with youth groups maybe being smaller and being more intimate and the teaching being more direct that more of those students would have come to know Christ and when they go into college they're more prepared to live as Christians in the college world or live post in the live as a Christian in in their careers and become actual people of the church and members of the church and servants and volunteers in the church um, so um, that is a positive outlook and a positive um, hope that um, that will be the the effect of our youth ministries today. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was an interesting article. Uh, it was in Christianity Today, and um, I think that's all we that we all we have yeah. for today. And so, thanks for listening to Empires of the Future. And again, you can find us on um, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Podbean.com. Um, and you also have some of these up on your YouTube channel, is that correct? Yeah, we've set it up to where they should automatically be going to my YouTube channel at all if you want to see the video. There you go. And, and actually, we at Redeemer Fellowship Church, we put Empires of the Future as a uh, something on the app. If you go to the bottom of the, of the front page of the app, you can find all of these uh, episodes on there. Um, I'm not sure if, if there's something on First Southern's website. Not yet. Not yet, but yeah, we'll have to work on it. Um, but so make, making sure that you can uh, get this and just a, a little bit here I've gotten a little bit more used to discord okay. and I've asked a few of these servers that I'm on if it would be okay if I shared sure. 
the podcast and they said yes okay. and so there may be some people listening to this that don't even live in this country so that's kind of cool so hopefully that, that audience grows and so uh, this has been again empires of the future and we'll see you next week yeah take care of each other out there